This episode of the Door County Pulse podcast is brought to you in part by the Door County Community Foundation, inspiring people to give back, to sustain, and advance the community that we love. To learn more, visit givedoorcounty.org. Welcome to the Door County Pulse podcast. I'm Andrew Clyden, and I'm joined today by Miles Danhausen. How's it going, Miles? It's going good, Andrew. How are you doing? I'm doing really well. I'm finally back inside after spending over a week sitting out in a cherry orchard waiting for the blossoms to come in. Yeah, you're lucky it wasn't raining this week. It rained a little bit at night. Yeah. And I was out there. Was it cold? No, it was okay. Just staring Staring at the blossoms or I, waiting for the blossoms? Yes, I, I baked during the day and then got to cool off a little bit in the rain at night. So <laughs> it was good. Of course, I'm talking about the cherry blossoms. They are blooming. And uh, if you've been following our social media this last week, you've seen uh, a lot of my face out there <laughs> in the orchards. Just waiting to answer that timeless question, are they blooming yet? Miles, do you think are they blooming yet is the number one question that you get just from tourists, people coming back, that kind of thing? It's up there. It, I, I would think it is. I mean, you have the, when can I pick cherries? When do the blossoms come? And what, fall colors? Right. And I feel like of those three major questions, the blossoms are the ones that are the most, it's the biggest emergency, right? Because fall colors will last about five weeks, give or take. I mean, they're really going to be vibrant for a couple of weeks, but you can see fall colors for most of fall. Unless yeah, you have. can you can trick your mind into thinking they're still good in early November sometimes. Right, and unless we have some storms in fall, you can generally get to see them at their brightest for quite a while. Yeah. Cherries, you can pick cherries for, what, a month? Maybe a month and a half? Maybe a month. Yeah, it, it's probably limited by supply more than anything. Yeah, and, you know, they rot eventually on the tree. They last longer than that just on the tree. <laughs> no, I'd say like a solid three weeks. Sure. But then blossoms are like you get one week to really see the blossoms. And then that's kind of, they go away. Yeah. And it can be faster too. If it if you get a big spring storm or windstorm or hail sometimes, get something like that, you can lose them just overnight. So, right. so small let's, window. Yeah. Let's, uh, let's back up a little bit and talk about what we're talking about. So in 2019, we had this idea to do this video series where I would go out to the orchards and answer the question, are they blooming yet? Every day until they did it. And I would make short 10 second videos, mostly intro and outro of me just out in the fields saying, nope. <laughs> and then on the day that it would happen, I would go, yep. And then do a little dance or something like that. Uh, so we've been doing that for... The script writing for this series is just a monumental undertaking. It, it, you know what? I'm glad you mentioned that because first year, sure, it was just a lot of yips and nopes. Second year, I did an intro. This year, I feel like Rachel and I outdid ourselves for our intro for this one. Uh, and that's kind of become a new thing. Is every first episode, you capture me in like existential dread, and then I... like go on my mission to answer the question. And it keeps getting weirder and weirder every year, and that's something that I hope to continue to push every year from now. You're going to find me in some hole next year. Well, can you just wait until this winter, because Dave's new idea is, starting on November 1st, is to have you just stand outside and answer the question, is it snowing yet? I feel like <laughs> if I were to just answer, like, weather-related questions <laughs> that people ask us all the time, that would be my full-time job. 
yeah. sidebar, uh, my dad was a truck driver for many years. I may have told the story on the podcast, but he would call me right when I would wake up for school at around six in the morning and he would go, Hey, can you check the weather for whatever town he was about to drive into? I'm like, what's the weather look like in Isani? And I'd be like, look outside. <laughs> That's what it's going to be like. You're there. And he's like, well, I want to know if it's going to rain. Does it look like it's going to rain? Well, what's the weather like? Roll your window down. Like, that's where you are. Um, I'd have to confirm this with Paul Wanish, but that might be how they do the weather segments at WDOR still. Is just tell people to check for themselves? Look out the window. Yeah. That's, I mean. (laughs) This is Eddie Allen, and it is currently raining. Sidebar within a sidebar, we had a meteorologist come to my college and talk to us about the weather, and he said that while... Predicting the weather is, it has gotten better with technology. It's still like the tried and true method is, what is it like today? It'll probably be like that tomorrow. Is it 65 today? Probably be about 65 tomorrow. Is it <laughs> raining today? Probably raining tomorrow. That's like, that's the best yeah, method that, to predict. But if that were the method and it were raining, and if tomorrow it's also raining, that would mean raining for infinity. Yeah, but if, you know, if it's raining and then it stops raining, what's it going to be like tomorrow? Oh, it probably won't rain. <laughs> right. It you just whenever you ask, that's the answer. So if it's, you know, sixty five at night, probably be about sixty five for a low. Deep thoughts with Andrew Clyden. All right, let's get back to the blossoms. So uh <laughs> I started last week and they were not blossoming. And then on Monday they were. And it was kind of a quick turnaround. A little bit, you know, I, I consider myself now doing this for since twenty nineteen. I consider myself to be a scientist because <laughs> What is a scientist if not somebody who observes over time? That's what I did. I'm sure that's how a scientist would define themselves. Yeah, you observe over time. and you That's test. the whole thing. Yep. You, you don't need a college degree. It's like, that's why I am a scientist. You just need a task and a long enough time to gather data, and that's science. Hashtag, that's science. <laughs> and I've, I've noticed a couple of things. So I wanted to clarify some questions that we get about are they blooming yet every year. So... Number one, when are they going to bloom? Usually about mid-May. It was early this year. I called it on Monday and go back to 2019. It was Memorial Day. 2020, same thing, Memorial Day. Last year, I think it was like maybe a little bit earlier than Memorial Day, like the 21st or so. So this is definitely the earliest it's been in, since I've been doing this. Since your observations began. Since I started doing science, this is the earliest it's been. Still about mid-May, but early, early mid-May. The other question I get a lot is, how do you define, are they blooming, right? Because it's a long peninsula. Exactly. And I usually call it, you know, about three days after the first person goes on Facebook and shows me a picture of a tree that is in blossom and says, hey, look, they're blooming. But I don't consider that to be blooming for a number of reasons. So number one, the blossoms tend to come out south to north. So in Southern Door, they're going to blossom a day or two earlier than they're going to blossom in Egg Harbor. It's going to blossom a day or two earlier than they're going to blossom in Ellison Bay. So you have like a three to five day window where they are blooming. Somewhere. Somewhere. But I would not consider that to be, hey, the blossoms are out in Door County. Because what I want to do in answering the question, are they blooming yet, is I want you to be able to watch the video. And then the next day go drive around the county and see the cherry blossoms. Mm -hmm. Like you want to, when you think Door County cherry blossoms, you think of like driving around and just seeing them everywhere. That's what I mean when I say, yes, they're blooming. Not, you know, there's a couple trees in Southern Door and you can go to one orchard and you might see a couple. That's not blooming. It's not a race. (laughs) 
It's <laughs> when can people see the most blossoms at one time? Because you don't want to false advertise. If you if there's some back road where there's cherry blooming, and somebody comes up here and they go to Egg Harbor and they still don't see them, you're gonna feel bad. Right. If I walk out my front door in Sturgeon Bay and say they're blooming, and then you walk out your front door in Sister Bay and see that they're not, I'm gonna call you a liar. Yeah. Th- then they're not blooming. I want everybody to see all the blossoms all the time. So that's what I mean when I say yes, they're blooming. <laughs> The other thing that happens is sweet cherries tend to blossom a little bit earlier than tart cherries. And while the majority of the cherry blossoms in Door County are tart cherries, there are some pretty prominent sweet cherry orchards or some patches of sweet cherry trees, at least, that kind of give up false flags, Mm -hmm. right? So Highline Orchard has some sweet cherries. So when those go, everyone's like, oh, they're blooming in Egg Harbor. Well, it's still about two or three days before all of the blossoms come out in Egg Harbor. Because they tend to, and it, it, sometimes they go like five days early. So it, it really is a waiting game. You don't want to jump the gun and be like, oh, there they are. I really want to wait for them all to be out so that everybody can enjoy them. And that's why we station you at the corner of Double E and 42 at Highline Orchard. So you can stand there and, and wag your finger at people like, nope, doesn't count. Yep. These eight trees don't count. You know, it's, it's funny that you mentioned that because when I, I check, I usually check right in the middle of Egg Harbor. You know the road. I, I just know it's right in front of the big, like, power station. Across from Stonehenge, Heritage yes. Lake, and E. Yes, that's where I go because it's centrally located. It was actually on my way to work before, so it was really great. Now I <laughs> go out of my way to go there. But it's right in the middle, and I can safely say that when those are blossoming, they're pretty much all blossoming, maybe a day before Ellison Blake goes. But it is weird to watch me do it because what I do is I pull off, like, into the shoulder off the road in my car. I get out, and I take a selfie of me going, nope, no, nah, uh nope, no. Because I need a couple different takes to pick which one will be funny. Very complicated process. Right. But if you didn't know what I was doing, you would think that I was like shaming. A tourist? Well, no, you'd think <laughs> I was shaming the orchard, like the business. <laughs> like I was going out there and be like, uh-uh, no, no, no blossoms in my, you know what I mean? It, I look disgruntled <laughs> when I do it every day. No one's like driven by or stopped or God forbid pulled me over or anything. But it, it does look very strange when I record it. People would probably just think you are a weird tourist. You know, yeah. like, because a lot of people, I live right next to Apple Orchard and then like a few rows over it's cherries. And it's amazing. I, I pull out of my driveway this time of year, almost every day, there's going to be someone taking a photo or painting something out there. That's, that's you. That's what I should do is just bring an easel out and then be yeah. like, oh, it's plain air. And then of course, on the day where I finally do proclaim that, yes, they are blooming. I usually do a little dance or run around and jump. And that's maybe the most embarrassing that's part. What- and nobody's seen me do it. Outtakes yeah, nobody's seen me do it yet. But <laughs> next year around this time, if you're driving by, you'll know where to find me. And maybe you can get a video of me making. Now there's going to be an Andrew Clyden watch to go with the Bloomin' watch. Are they blo- Is Andrew filming? Are they Bloomin' yet? <laughs> yes. Is Andrew Bloomin' yet? <laughs> so there you go. That's the story behind Are They Bloomin' Yet? They are. Uh, they're still out as of Friday. They'll probably be really great this weekend. Probably get to catch them this week if you come up. So get out there, enjoy the blossoms, be respectful to the orchards, but take pictures and have a good time. Thank you for your science, Andrew. Yeah, I, uh, I've become a lot of things since I started working here, <laughs> and science is one of them. I'm a science. Also poet. <laughs> I've become a poet since I worked here. Yes. So we should talk about something more people will care about <laughs> rather than just the behind the scenes of my silly video I make. You had the opportunity to talk to Chris Hecht 
about some pretty important things going on. Walk me through that interview, and we'll, we'll jump into it here shortly. Sure. Uh, Chris Hecht, he's the fire chief for the Sister Bay Liberty Grove Fire Department, and he's also the president of the Door County Fire Chiefs Association. And I got a chance to talk to him about this defibs for Door County effort. Have you heard about this? Not this, but I do know what like a defibrillator is. Yes. So it's an effort to raise $150,000 to provide a lot more defibrillators around the county to help for uh, instances of cardiac emergencies. So uh, get those stationed in more emergency services vehicles and also in some high capacity venues around the county so that they're in closer proximity to help save somebody's life. You know, it it's kind of weird because it's one of those background things that you don't notice unless you need them. Mm-hmm. And you hope you never need them, but when you do and they're not there, that's a big problem. You mentioned putting them inside more emergency services vehicle. That, to me, sounded like something that should be a given, that they should just all have them. Yeah, well, so, like, there are some cop cars that, you know, those police officers don't have them, or park rangers, people like that that didn't have them already in their cars, because these things cost anywhere from 1500 to, like, $2,500 a piece, depending on the model. Chris Heck goes into more detail on it, and he, he breaks it down, and, you know, he's somebody who's seen it firsthand, the difference it can make in saving somebody's life and and not. Yeah. And we were talking just, you know, about the generational difference. I remember being taught every year how to use one of these in school and somebody would come in, either an EMS worker or the nurse would come in and bring one to show us how they work and go through using it and would also take us on a field trip to show us where they all were within the school. We had probably three in each school that I was in just in different places. So I knew about them. And then you just, it's something that you forget about. They were a fixture in my school because I'd walk by them every day, but then Hmm. you don't think about them being in public places. Yeah. And I never, they didn't have trainings like that when I was in high school at all. So, you know, it's the technology advanced and apparently these are very easy to use. And Chris will tell us about some training opportunities that are coming up for those. So it was really good to sit down and talk to him about something that, you know, a year ago I didn't. And even when they started this, I was like, oh, why do they need it? And, and, Chris does a really good job of explaining the the difference they can make. Did you ever have anybody come to your class and teach you like how to do CPR or did you learn that in health class? You know, I can't recall. I don't think so. I remember learning CPR, I believe for the first time when I was becoming a basketball coach in my early twenties. Right. Cause you can, you can get certified in CPR. Yeah. But I remember in health class, we, they brought in a dummy and, and taught us all how to like do CPR and how to do rescue breaths and how to, do chest pumps and keep the timing on everything. And you are better educated. You had a better school, Andrew. I guess so. This awakened a memory in my brain of health class and we were doing CPR and the teacher was kind of giving us a little quiz and they're like, okay, so we're going to have them come up and demonstrate and you will walk us through the steps. So first thing they're going to do is what? Somebody raised their hand and said, cross their hands like into the chest pumping configuration where you like lock your fingers together. And then the teacher was like, okay, then what's next? Where do they put their hands? And I raised my hand and said, on the cervix. And the health teacher said, nope, not that one, (laughs) on the sternum. And I was like, oh, what did I say? (laughs) No. Yeah. (laughs) I had no idea what it was, but I guess I'd heard the word before. (laughs) Rachel, you might want to cut all that out, but that's my story. Put it on her, put your hands on her cervix. (laughs) Not that one. Oh, okay. I'm sorry. All right, Miles, we're going to take a break, and then when we come back, we'll have your interview with Chris Heck. Thanks, Miles. 
Thanks, Andrew. This episode of the Door County Pulse podcast is brought to you in part by Door County Medical Center. Are you looking for a job in Door County with excellent benefits, culture, and potential for advancement through tuition reimbursement programs? Door County Medical Center is hiring. For more than 75 years, Door County Medical Center has been the leader in health and wellness for Door and Kiwani counties. Their integrated medical center provides a wide range of specialties, including primary care, behavioral health, general surgery, the Women and Children's Center, the Door Orthopedic Center, the Door County Cancer Center, and more. To join the team, apply today at dcmedical.org slash careers. Okay, joining me now on the Pulse podcast is Chris Hecht, the Sister Bay Liberty Grove Fire Chief and the president of the Door County Fire Chiefs Association. Do I have that right, Chris? You do have that right, Miles. Thank you. All right. Thanks for joining us. You're here today to talk about a a really important project and a really important topic, especially in our community with the the age of our community. Probably comes up even more. But you've been working on this effort to raise money to get AED devices to more first responders and to more organizations and venues throughout the county. Why don't you... Tell us a little bit about what this DFIBS for Door County project is all about. Uh, certainly, Miles, and, and thank you for the opportunity to come in and talk about this and, and really um, delve into it a little deeper as to the, the benefits of an AED in the community and, and how this program will really help the community. So the Door County Fire Chiefs represent the 10 fire departments across Door County and the three non-affiliated EMR groups. Um, also in, the, in, in our fold is Door County Emergency Services as well. And we have a unique opportunity. Um, we've identified over the years that there's a shortage of defibrillators in Door County. And we know that early access to defibrillation significantly improves somebody in sudden cardiac arrest chance of surviving it. And we can talk later on about some, maybe not specific instances, but some generic instances where defibrillation has been instrumental in saving lives in Door County. And then we had an individual who has very close ties to Door County. He's a seasonal resident. Um, come forward and say, you know, I, I would really like to do something important for Door County. I'd really like to put defibrillators in all of the squad cars in Door County because up until this point, the squad cars, all of the squad cars didn't have defibrillators. There were a couple of defibs in a couple of select cars. So we looked at that opportunity and worked with this individual to say, look, you know, you're, you're willing to do this, and this is no small task, both financially and just uh, administratively. But would you, would you allow us to kind of leverage this opportunity community-wide and take this money for the squad cars and use it as a seed for growth and really look to potentially double that money Um, and really bring a lot of defibrillators to Door County. And he was all on board with that. Can you tell me what was his inspiration for coming forward with this idea? He's a longtime public safety. He's been involved in police, fire, and EMS his entire life. So he knows the benefit of early access defibrillation. And he has seen it firsthand, both as a caregiver, as a paramedic. He has successfully defibrillated many people. Um, but then also as an individual, he's seen people in his family that, that uh, were lost because they didn't have early access hmm. to fibrillation. And explain to the listener, take us back to the very basics of what, what are we talking about when we're talking about a defibrillator and an AED, AED device, and how much are these individual devices? So the, the defibrillators that we are purchasing for the community and for the squad cars, we're looking at, we are using two different defibrillators. One would be a public access defibrillator that is pretty much a static device that is in a church, a school, uh, maybe a museum, sits on the wall, doesn't have to move around. That device with its case and, and instructions is about sixteen to $1,800. Mm. 
And then we use a, a little more ruggedized or hardened version that rides in fire trucks, first responder cars, and police cars because it's bouncing around, it's drug around, it's going from car to car. So it's a little more ruggedized and hardened for that that movement and that temperature shock and things like that. And those are about twenty-one to twenty-two hundred dollars a piece. There are cheaper defibrillators on the market. We have chosen these defibrillators because they integrate seamlessly with the defibs that are already in Door County, mm. in the fire trucks and with first responders, and most importantly with our paramedics. So it's just a seamless one, two, three. As, as the level of care increases for the patient from a bystander to a first responder to the paramedics coming on scene, everybody's familiar with the device and the device is interchangeable or the patches are interchangeable from machine to machine. And tell me, how does this work? Uh, it, you know, it's obviously a lot easier to see this in person and We've seen examples of this if you watch TV shows, if you grew up watching ER like I did and things like that. But what are these devices like now? I had somebody explaining to me how they are used now, and I was kind of shocked hearing the explanation of how easy it seems that somebody who doesn't know a lot and isn't a first responder could actually help save somebody's life. Absolutely. They they are geared 100% for the lay person. So the, you know, if you pay attention next time you're in Walmart and find the defibrillators, they're usually marked on the on the poles that hold the roof up will be fire extinguisher or defibrillator. And they are really geared for the, you know, John Q. Public walking down the, down the aisle in Walmart, see something happen and can do something. They are considered semi-automatic, hands-free defibrillation. So when you when you go to use one and you open it up, it talks to you in, in common sense language. You know, open up the patches, put the patches, you know, it tells you exactly where to put the patches and there's a diagram. <laughs> and it tells you what button to push and then it'll tell you to stand back if it's going to defibrillate. And it makes all the hard decisions for you. All you simply have to do is pay attention to the directions and follow the directions and the machine will take care of the rest. And, and what are the scenarios that somebody would use these or that you would use them as an EMT? So the ones that are in the public venue, the automatic external defibrillator, are used for typically the sudden cardiac arrest, where the person has a sudden cardiac arrest and they are in a very specific type of heart rhythm that is not perfusing or not effectively transporting blood around their body. Um, that specific heart rhythm is very susceptible to early defibrillation and is and can be successfully defibrillated if it's caught early. And that's really kind of the hallmark of why we want to do this and why we want the defibrillators, more public access defibrillators, is because if we can cut that time down from when the person suffers the event to when we can deliver that first shock and hopefully uh, do some CPR in between there if we're delayed at all with that defibrillator, we significantly increase the chances of survivability and the person having an effective and productive life going forward. And, you know, talk about the CPR piece of this too and how that impacts us. Like what's, how does this, somebody goes down, if that AED or the defibrillator is, are those interchangeable words, by the way? Yeah, they are. Um, AED is, uh, you know, stands for automatic external defibrillator. So it's, it's a more specific type of defibrillator. So for example, the defibrillators that are carried on the ambulance are not automatic. The paramedics have to manually charge them. They make the interpretation of the rhythm and then they deliver mm-hmm. the shock. And AED does all that for you. Okay. Okay. Excellent. A lot easier. <laughs> uh, yes. Yes. Again, these things are, are not quite hands-free, but nearly hands-free. Um, you need to put the patches on and follow the directions. But as far as the, the value of CPR, so every year in the United States, about 350,000 people succumb to a sudden cardiac event or a sudden cardiac arrest. And for every minute that there is a delay in CPR or a delay in administering a shock, 
the chances of survivability decrease between 7 and 10%. So what we want to do is have defibrillators that are easily and readily accessible, and we want as much of the public trained in effective CPR as we can because CPR, effective CPR, buys you time to get the defibrillator, buys time for an EMT, a first responder, or a paramedic to get there because we are effectively transporting oxygen to the heart and to the brain during that period of time while we're waiting. Excellent. So there's a role for both of these things. So the defib doesn't... Absolutely. You know, while we would like to have a defib everywhere, obviously we can't, you know. So if there is a, if there is a seven to 10 minute delay in the defib arriving and there's no CPR being done, the chance of surviving that event for that individual significantly decreases, right? But if we can do effective CPR, we significantly improve their So how has this process been going? The defibs for Door County effort launched uh, this winter, and it's been a lot of kind of advocacy and and getting the word out, getting the stories of of who this helps and and some of those personal stories that people have told of of being saved. But obviously the fundraising component too. I think you have the $75,000 from the anonymous donation. You're trying to match that to take it further. How much has been raised so far? What's coming up to try and continue spreading this message and and raise more funds? So we've been very, very lucky. To date, we've raised just over $40,000 of matching funds. Again, yes, we are targeting for at least $75,000 for a a grand total of $150,000. I will tell you that there is greater need than that. As we pull our first responders, our fire departments, and our community buildings, so our schools, our churches, our museums, places like that, we know that there is more demand than we can cover with $150,000. So ideally, we'd like to raise more, but our target is the 150, and and, uh, we've committed 25% of that to public access defibrillation. So it's it's been going very well. We have some great partners in the community. Uh, Door County, as we know, historically rises up to support grassroots efforts like this to improve Door County and the health of Door County. And then this weekend, you guys have a special training, free training available at the Sister Bay Liberty Grove Fire Department? We do. When when DFIBS for Door County got kicked off and, and was kind of making a splash, some people in Green Bay who were involved in uh, a group called the Compress and Shock Foundation, which is based on the East Coast, one of the board of directors there is a Dr. Zempel, who is a ER physician in Aurora Bay here in Green Bay, and he saw what we were doing. And he reached out and he asked us to if we would like to partner with the Compress and Shock Foundation for their National CPR Day, which is Saturday, this coming Saturday, May 21st. Um, and we, we said absolutely. Um, you know, it's a great opportunity to provide free education. So we're moving forward with that. And we hope that it's something that, that sticks and that we can continue to offer an- annually here in Door County. And we hope to grow it. This year, we're offering two classes in Sister Bay on Saturday one at nine in the morning and one at 11 in the morning. Um, And, you know, depending on how that goes and what the, you know, how those fill up, we hope to next year when this comes up, offer two additional classes potentially in Sturgeon Bay. So there'd be two in Sister Bay and two in Sturgeon Bay. So these are less than two hours and you have, do you have to register, sign up in advance? Yes. uh, Yep. So the class will run between 60 and 90 minutes. If you go to our website, dfibs for Door County, .org in the upper left corner, there'll be a little star that says, you know, click here for free training. And it's a little tricky. Click on the points of the star and you'll be able to go in and register for the class. Again, it is a free class. Uh, I need to qualify the fact that this uh, for, for first responders, EMTs, paramedics, nurses, 
dental staff, things like that. This is not a certification level class. So if okay. you are a healthcare professional and you need to be recertified in CPR for your job, this is not the CPR for you. Okay. This is going to be hands-only CPR. We will talk a little bit about uh, breathing for the patient, but typically this is hands-free CPR for the layperson. The idea is to really help demystify, give that basic level of knowledge of how to do effective CPR and how to use the AED. Excellent. So a really low bar for people to get a little bit closer to maybe being helpful in a situation when, when somebody's life is on the line. Absolutely. It, it, it'll be, it should be a fun class. It should be easy. There's, there's no pressure. There's no tests. You know, we're going to start out with about 10 or 15 minutes from Dr. Gorchinski, who is the ER director at DCMC, Door County Medical Center. He's going to do the first 10 or 15 minutes about why it's so important to be good at doing CPR and be willing to do CPR. And then most of the rest of the time is just hands-on practice with mannequins and, and defib trainers. Excellent. And meeting some more people who can teach you some other things. And hopefully maybe that's a stepping stone for people to get full certification and, and learn more. Maybe end up being a volunteer firefighter for you. <laughs> Absolutely. And, and there, you make a good point, Miles, that, that there is the opportunity. If you like this, if you say, hey, uh, you know, I really want to get certified. We offer certification level classes at Sister Bay. And if you want to be you go through that and you want to be a first responder, an EMT, we'll be happy to set you up with whatever, wherever you live, the fire department that provides service to your community. You know, we would very much like to put you in touch with them. Well, again, that that is May 21st, this Saturday. We're recording this on Tuesday afternoon. So that class will be May 21st, Saturday at the Sister Bay Liberty Grove Fire Station. That's on Mill Road. And first one's at nine, second one's at 11. And that website, again, is dfibsfordoorcounty.org. Yep, dfibs for the number four, doorcounty.org. And the class size is limited to 15. Uh, so I would encourage you, if you're at all interested, please don't wait to sign up. <laughs> One last thing, Chris, is while, while I have you here, is another project you've been involved in is launching kind of this fire department history project. And... You started this effort, was that back in January as well? No, that was last fall. We, st we kicked oh, yeah. it off with a breakfast, uh, fire department breakfast for all our retirees uh, in, I think it was uh, mid, mid or late October. And I remember you first coming to talk to me about this, about trying to piece together the history of the departments. Maybe tell me and tell our listeners why you kind of got interested in this and what it means to you to try and, and gather some of this fire department history and, and get some of these stories together. This really has been kind of in, uh, in the back of my mind for a while. And then last summer, I was asked to give a brief presentation at the Liberty Grove Historical Society as we put down honor bricks for the past chiefs for the Sister Bay Liberty Grove Fire Department and the founding members for the uh, Northern Door First Responders, which now is morphed into part of the fire department. And, you know, one of the things we talked about there was, you know, in, in my tenure as the fire chief for now 21 years, I can literally, you can literally watch the history of our department fading before our eyes. And, and we can't sit on our hands any longer and wait. There is nobody left that was here in the beginning. You know, we're 91 years old now as a fire department. But there are people still in the community that remember people who were, who were here mm -hmm. in the beginning and can help us tie that, that thread back to the beginning. And, and what did it look like? And what stories did you hear as a kid when your dad was on the fire department in the beginning? So it's, it's hugely important to capture that. Fire departments are steeped in tradition. You know, many people say, you know, it's 100 years of tradition unimpeded by progress. And there is some truth to that, but there is also some, some honor and some history in that, too. And it's important that we understand and, and remember that, that we wouldn't be who we are and where we are without those that came first. 
Um, so it's, it's just hugely important. And if you look at the old roll calls of the fire department members, there's so many important people in the community that are entwined with the, the fire department's history as well. And when you had that fire chief's breakfast and you heard some of the stories, I, I was there, I went there with my dad who was a volunteer firefighter when I was a kid. But to hear some of the stories of whether it be the, the name of a guy that came up or that you could tell everybody in the room respected or in other cases didn't <laughs> one way or the other. Uh, and you could just see the reverence for certain people. And if there was a certain fire that came up, you could see their faces. You could see the, the look of recognition on a face of a tragic fire. If, if somebody mentioned that name, it's, it was a pretty moving experience for me and, and kind of hilarious too, to hear the stories, right. both stories that would make you cry, stories that would make you laugh. And also just to gain some perspective because, you know, guys who are just a generation older than me remember a totally different version of our fire departments and emergency response in the county, whether it be the hearse serving as the ambulance or putting, you know, a a fire bell ringing and kids literally, the Casperson kids literally running down to the village hall to throw open the doors and write down the address of the fire. Pretty crazy that we're only a generation or so removed from what seems like almost a prehistoric level of response. Absolutely. And, again, and here we are talking about AEDs and trying to get these things everywhere in the moment. Right. And if you talk, if you talk to those same people who will tell you about the first AED in all of Door County, right? And now there's literally hundreds of them and we're trying to <laughs> add hundreds more, right? You, you look at the tremendous changes in fire and EMS in Door County and, and not just Door County, but across the country. But it's important that we have we have the ability to memorialize and remember remember that because going forward there won't be anybody to to tell those stories right we need to be able to to capture them you know and so that in the future people can say well how was it and and hopefully that instills some thanks in them and some reverence for those that really fought hard and and really were in the trenches you know long before me i mean you you look at some of the things that that this group of volunteers, not just in, in our department, but across Door County, did and how they came together and worked together. Uh, unbelievable hardships that they overcame, you know. I, and I don't remember the dates off the top of my head, but our fire department was formed in 31. And there was a vote prior to that. I want to say t- uh, Marianne O'Dowd, who's really spearheading this this project, did the research. And I want to say in 28 or 29, they actually voted down the fire department. There was no, <laughs> they, they said, let's have a fire department. And the community voted it down. Yeah. Right. So what and that's ha- like twenty years after the whole town burned down. Right. So <laughs> so who fought that battle between twenty eight or twenty nine and thirty one to change to change the mentality that yes we do need a fire department and yeah. what did that battle look like? Yeah. I mean, and like you said, so many of the people who might know the answers to that aren't here, or maybe didn't even think of it as a a big deal at the time. But now, as we look back, we're so fortunate that people did those things, or yeah. even the first first responders up here in the, in the effort they did to, to organize and, and de- right. decide that this is important and we have to solve, we have to provide this on our own because that's one thing that we maybe overlook a lot in the uniqueness of Door County. We're on a peninsula. Nobody, nobody's passing through with the solution for us right. and nobody's east, west, or north of us that can help us out. So you, you do have to kind of create it from scratch from within. We have to solve our own problems. You know, and, and let's go back to the first responder, you know, Egg Harbor Fire Department, where your dad gave 20 or 30 years of service. They they were the impetus for first response EMS in Door County. They were the first ones, hmm. 
right? So they identified that need. They said, look, you know, we're a long way from Sturgeon Bay. We're a long way from Sister Bay where the ambulances are. How can we better serve our community? And people like your dad rose up and made it happen and then became the pattern for the entire rest of the county. Yeah, there's just so many good stories come out of these, that fire department history that uh, I think it's just wonderful that you guys are doing that up in Sister Bay, Liberty Grove. And I know, as you have said, there's that crossover. You know, you're not just Sister Bay. You can put those silos up in, in your head, but, you know, all the fire departments rely on each other. There's crossover of families. So that history isn't just one town's history. It, right. it spreads all over. And hopefully all the other communities continue to, to build on what you guys are building in Sister Bay. We hope so. And that's one of Mary Ann's goals is to kind of create a toolbox of here's, here's what we did that made it work. Here's what we did that didn't work. So take this information. If you want to build your own history project for wherever, use our successes, use our mistakes to help you smooth the process out. And she's very good about all of that. Is there any website up right now that people can go to check that out? No, the uh, there, we do not have a website up yet. We, we hope to launch that um, mid to late summer okay. if, if things go well. Um, and it will be tied to, it'll, it'll be a standalone website, obviously tied to our fire department website. And, you know, certainly we would encourage the public to get involved. If you have stories, if you have memorabilia, if you have old press and news articles, you know, we've had a bunch of people now drop off the, fi- the financial report for either Sister Bay or the town of Liberty Grove and in there is typically a financial report from the fire department. And that's one of the things we went over that morning for breakfast is that's where those names came from was it shows a record of everybody who received payment as an employee or a responder for the fire department. You know, and we don't necessarily need to keep that stuff. We'd be happy to just scan it in so it's preserved and then give it back to you. Excellent. Well, thank you for documenting that history and putting that effort forward. And then also thank you for the work on the DFID for Door County. I mean, somebody's life of somebody, one of our listeners love is gonna be saved at some point with some of these efforts. So yeah. good luck getting the rest of the way to your goal and thank you. And getting these distributed throughout the county. You know, and, and I'll just circle back on the DFID project. The simple fact of the matter is it works. We've seen it work. You know, um, there was an, an incident at a, at a, a race locally where uh, it worked. And if we look at the history of Door County, I, you know, while, while not getting into the specifics of patients, 30 years as a paramedic, I can tell you that early access to fibrillation works. And the only way to do it is to get defibrillators in the hands of the public and the first responders. All right. Well, if you want to give to the DFibs for Door County effort, dfibsfordoorcounty.org. Chris, thanks for joining us and, and telling us more of the story today. Thank you very much and have a good day.